I've listened to you two's Joshua Tree all day, oh. and uh, it's uh, oh, it's, it's it's you're now live. So was that not live a few minutes ago? Tell. Okay, well, I was, I was saying, I've listened to you two's the Joshua Tree all day today, and man, it has me in a mood. I've been Bono has a higher range of voice than I do, yeah, so when I try to sing Bono, I sound not great. <laughs> we. Oh, hello, everybody. Yes, hello. hello. My name is Renato Solanese. I'm here with my wonderful wife. I'm Angie. And uh, we like books. We do. Um, we believe uh, Evelyn Underhill, uh, we, we quote her all the time. She said that spiritual reading is second only to prayer as a developer of the inner life. Uh, reading is a good thing. And uh, we are reading uh, randomly, not randomly, we are doing part two of Timothy Keller's Reason for God. Um, this is our August book, but I know September like stinking seventh. But what are you gonna do, man? We it was do? Labor Day. It was our twentieth anniversary, town, and you know what? What are you gonna Priorities. do? Priorities. <laughs> so we did the first part of this book uh, two weeks two weeks ago, and we're doing the the last part portion of this book today. Um, the first portion of the book was called the um, the leap of doubt. The leap of doubt, which is really fun to talk about. Today we're talking about the reasons for faith um you read the whole book as a whole babe what do you think of the book i thought it was really good i, I okay, go ahead. yeah no i i like how he um how he structured it like the first half is like um basically saying that the christian worldview can't just be dismissed as ridiculous and he shows how other worldviews have uh, also have leaps of faith that you have to make to believe certain things there are some of them have just blatant inconsistencies, things like that. Blatant. And then, yeah, and then the second half, he goes through actual arguments for why the Christian worldview makes sense. Um, I agree. I think this is one of, uh, this book is fantastic, The Reason for God. He has another book, another book over him. We'll find it. Hold on. Do, 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 It's not there. It's not in my Tim Keller section. Oh no! What's up with that? Somebody probably borrowed it. People borrow my books like crazy. I'm looking under my desk. That's what Hold they're on. for? Books are for reading. Books are for reading. <laughs> do 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 do. Okay, there's another book he writes that's really good as well. But this is a really good book. Um, it's big though. It's kind of, it's kind of like 300 pages. Yeah, it is. Um, but we're talking about. There's a lot of meat. It's like a, there's a lot of. There's a lot content. of meat. Yeah. Listen, we are not going to be able to give you a breakdown of everything in the book. I want to highlight some of the things that we really, really valued as we read. So again, this section of the book, the, um, the reason. reason for God. Reason for faith. The reason, reason for, for faith. faith. Kind of saying that faith is reasonable. Now, mm -hmm. he makes a point early on to say, he's not going to prove Jesus mm -hmm. with these arguments. What he does want to say is that believing in something beyond our five senses does not make you a stupid person. It's a reasonable thing to do to believe that there is more that 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 there is more to reality than matter and energy and time. I mean, we just watched that movie Interstellar, um, uh, Christopher Nolan film, and uh, in that film, it, it's a, a, a movie's got all heart, love all heart, dude. Like him and his daughter killed me. But at the end of the movie, the conclusion 
they try to have it both ways. They try to play with the idea of love as having this supernatural reality, supernatural like power. Transcend dimensions. and yeah. At the same time, they're like, this is just humanity, you know, uh, reaching our full potential and creating new technology. I'm like, come on, you can't have it both ways. There can't be something more, but not be something more. So that so the reason for uh, faith is there is there reasons to believe to, is there reasons for smart people to believe um, the narrative we see in our culture says that what was it was it Freud or was it Nietzsche opiate for the masses no Marx Marx oh Marx punch him in his stupid <laughs> beard he's got a great beard though that's a good beard but stupid ideas um not stupid he's not stupid I'm stupid okay so. I'm saying opiate for the masses. He's saying that religion is there to keep the masses in check. It's there for unthinking, foolish people. I think he's wrong. This is a smart lady. <laughs> this is a smart guy. We don't close our eyes and pretend like, I believe even, you know, we don't close our eyes. I, I have on a shelf next to me, I have books, volumes of books by the, the greatest atheists and agnostics of, gener of, of the, since the Enlightenment. I have the best of the bunch, and I've read everything they got to write. Honestly, the new guys are kind of not great. The nude atheists, yeah. they're just like, anger, 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 wah. <laughs> Some of the old, some of the old atheists, though they those guys like Bert, uh, Bertrand Bert, Russell, Bertrand Russell or George Bernard Shaw, which one? Oh, I don't know. We look. Uh, let me see here. Only finder. I'm the one on my desk here. The theme for today Bertrand is Bertrand Russell looking for books. Bertrand Russell, the guy is a knife. That guy carved me up like a Thanksgiving stinking Thursday. Thanksgiving on a Thursday, isn't it? <laughs> like a turkey, you get cut up. Um, but I appreciate bringing the A game and saying, listen, I think you're wrong and I'm going to fight you. Even through all of these thinkers, my faith has not only survived, but thrived. There is reason for faith. The first chapter, if you're going to read one chapter of this whole book, I would say read Clues of God. Okay. Chapter I mean, 8, yeah, Clues of God. What a chapter. He just says there are things in the world that point to the reality that there is something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, he just, the, the name of the chapter, he's talking about how he has spoken with people who are struggling to believe. And he's like, don't, don't look for proofs. How about if instead we look for clues? And just look at nature and how the world works around us and see if there are clues for there being something bigger than us. And, um, yeah, he just goes through, um, you know, various things. He talks about evolution and, and there being an uncaused cause and how it's not any more ridiculous to say that someone created everything out of nothing than to say that nothing created everything out of nothing. You know, and it just, he kind of wrestles with those ideas and talks about how um, just there are things bigger than us in the world, that there is beauty that has no real reason to exist, you know. There's no evolutionary evolution, right. reason for beauty to exist. He talks about purpose, and you know, all of these bigger things that, why would they be here if this is all just, you know, a cosmic accident? So if you wanted to read one chapter of a really big book, I encourage you, chapter 8 of this book, uh, The Reason for God, is a wonderful chapter. 
It is um, only like 20 pages long. One thing that Angie loves about this writer, Timothy Keller, who passed away tragically just a few months ago. Yeah. Um, he's a great writer. He's very kind. Like I, I can come across as like I, I make voices and I do silly things. Like I was, I just put, threatened to punch Karl Marx in the face a few minutes ago. <laughs> that's that's my style. Timothy Keller is a much more diplomatic, kind. What is it, a meek personality? Mm -hmm. He generally he's not trying to fight anybody. He's trying to talk to people, and he respects the people he's talking to. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing. Um, because most people that talk, they, we talk, a lot of us talk at one another, not to one another. And Timothy Keller talks to people who don't agree with him. And he, he treats them as though your ideas have are valid, your thoughts are valid. I'm going to treat you like your thoughts deserve respect. That's a beautiful thing. He's a beautiful man and a beautiful mind. Mm -hmm. um, so that's chapter 8. Who's got anything else for chapter 8, baby? Um, no. Okay. We go into chapter nine, the knowledge of God as a as a reason for God, and um, this chapter. Um, one of the things I really found interesting about it is um, talking about our, in our modern world how a lot of our morality has no foundation. Mm -hmm. That a lot of us have ideas of right and wrong, good and evil, and we assume these these paradigms. We assume, and they're very Western realities. Um, Tom Holland, Dr. Holland, uh, who wrote the book Dominion, he would say that in the West, a lot of what we assume to be human rights are things we received from the teaching of Jesus Christ, but have been divorced from Christ. We kept all his teachings and left his demand to follow him, basically. Um, and I think that's fair. I think Keller kind of like bumps into that a few times here, saying a lot of our morality, a lot of our we believe in like human rights and human dignity, and these things are not givens in the world. These are relatively new ideas since Jesus. Before Jesus, people were individuals were throwaway, like. And it was very much a uh, the strong survive and survival of the fittest as far as like a basis for how civilizations were run. It was yeah, just great you know, men rise yeah, up, and the rest are the fodder for those great men. Mm -hmm. um, or to quote. Tom Hanks, the the weak are meat and the strong shall eat. Um, but the knowledge of God is about morality and, and, and the reality of where does it morality come from? Why do we think certain things are human rights? Because not every culture agrees. Go to the Middle East. Go to India. See if they disagree with you. See if they agree with you on women having the same rights as men do. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, have fun trying to say why your cultural assumption is better than their cultural assumption. You got that from Jesus, yo. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, I forget. Again, I'm not as respectful as Tim Keller is. <laughs> um, and then chapter 10, go to 10, babe. Sure. Um, the problem of sin. Um, this is probably one of my favorite chapters. Um, he does two quotes from H.G. Wells at the beginning. I'll read one of them. He says, uh, the cold-blooded massacres of the defenseless, the return of deliberate and organized torture, mental torment and fear to a world from which such things had seemed well-nigh banished. He thought it was going to go away. He thought the world's going to get better. We would stop being so evil to one another. He goes, has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. Like, 
what a thing for a historian to say. Like, I thought we as a people were going to move beyond mm -hmm. what we do to each other. And he lived in World War II, and guess what? We amped it up. We turned up to 11 what we did to one another. We found more efficacious and we found more eff effective ways to be brutal one to another. Um, so in the problem of sin, the chapter talks about like, to make it personal, he just says, even though we all have ideas of goodness, of what it means to be a good man or a good woman, most of us are not what we want to be. We are not that ideal, and we can't attain to that ideal. Something inside of us can't overcome. Mm -hmm. And that's a weird thing to have an ideal that cannot be idealized. Right. That can't be... Ever attained. It can't be attained. Mm -hmm. Like, where did that come from? That I have this ought, I have this, like, ought to, this should, that I'm so below... And he talks about sin not only being personal, but also being societal mm -hmm. and universal in scope. Um, in the book Unapologetic, the author of that book, who's a, a very famous um, journalist who's a believer in Jesus, he says the reason he did, he, he's not lost his faith through all the things he's seen, all the, like, all the ugly crap of the church, the reason he's not lost his faith is because he says the reality of sin reminds him there's a God. And Keller uses the problem of sin as a, not an evidence against, but evidence for there being a God. I mean, God says, I made the world grow good and sin broke it. And when you live, you see, you feel the, the hint of the good. Yeah. But you see the stain of the bad. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, in a lot of ways, it's the only, it's the only perspective that makes sense of like human nature and you know like why are there why are people good but also bad because I mean that's that's a question that philosophers have been arguing over for centuries is are, are people good or are they bad and the you know the fall of mankind in the garden like that answers that that it's you know we are created in the image of God um, but we are fallen and he talks in this chapter about how everyone feels this inclination to try to make their lives significant in some way to find their identity in something and that that yearning in and of itself is an evidence for God as well and he talks a lot about how our identity apart from um, God is inherently unstable and all these other things that we chase to try to define ourselves just let us down even if the thing that we're trying to chase is our own goodness or our own you know being a good person or whatever like all of those things trying to find that identity and worth in someone else they're inevitably going to fail you and so he just talks about how basing your self-worth in a holy god is is the only thing that is unshakable in this chapter chapter 11 is called religion of the gospel this chapter is is very is, is it's a weird one in the middle of this book he talks about, yeah, there are some people who are evil who, because of pride, uh, because of anger, they oppress other people. But he says there's, a other, there's another side of the coin that some people hear about God, hear about God having standards and laws, 
and they 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 decide I'm going to keep those laws. I'm going to keep those standards. I'm going to be a good person. And instead of desiring um, to rule humanity through power, they begin to feel like I'm greater than others because of my goodness, and they become self-righteous. It talks about the the ugliness and the dangerousness of self-righteousness. How it is a ugly thing that no one actually respects. Meaning someone that's self-righteous is not, you don't want to hang out with that person. You know, there's, we have a lot of phrases about people like this, holder than thou, you know, Bible thumper. I mean, these are people who really think they're better than others. Mm -hmm. This is not the message of Jesus. Jesus, who was kind of awesome, didn't act like he was above anybody else. Like people that were outcast and shunned loved him. He not only felt at home, but they felt at home with him. So much so, the powerful and the rich didn't like Jesus for it. Um, so the chapter is really about self-centeredness, um, self-righteousness, mm -hmm. and how it is not the gospel. That religion in this way, the, uh, the, the people that go to church to make themselves feel better, to lord it over others, who obey rules trying to get things from some cosmic entity, this is not a beautiful or inviting thing. Living in fear from an invisible fist is not, that's not good news. Right. It's not good news. Mm -hmm. Obey or else. It's not good news. I think this chapter, in a lot of ways, if, the, if most of the book is um, kind of an argument... Uh, if you're debating an atheist or agnostic, okay, yep. this chapter is kind of why Christianity instead of all the other religions. Because all true, the babe. other religions are, you know, there's usually a list of things that you're trying to do to attain to some, you know, some standard, some level. And um, he's saying this isn't that either. It's not just, you know, Christianity out of all of these other religions like it. This is a good one. It's, this is completely different from all of them because because God stooped down and because of grace and it's not just about us trying to be good and attain to some impossible level it's about God bringing us to himself that's a really good observation Donald. Thanks. chapter 12 is the true story of the cross and it's an odd chapter like the end, the last two chapters of the book, I appreciate, but are hard to summarize for me. Um, True story of the cross is Keller really saying, the cross. He mentions the cross has a profound impact on people, and he quotes a lot of poets and writers whose lives have been overturned by the cross. The cross is a very odd thing. Usually, in a religion, in a um, in a story of a great person, the great one is a victor. The great one is powerful. The great one, you know, like wins. That's the that's the end of a good movie. The the big the the, the hero wins. Mm -hmm. The story of Jesus is a story of dying, like and not just dying, dying publicly, in a humiliating fashion. Um, alone. His death is so awful. I mean, there's. Some people say, I can't believe in a God who would get smoked this bad. But to others, they say, man, God suffered like this? Because they see that God suffers like this for us. Mm -hmm. And Keller writes about how 
real forgiveness, it requires costly suffering. Mm -hmm. That real, yeah, real forgiveness, it costs someone something. We want to talk about forgiveness, but the forgiver often has to let go of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he talks about like absorbing the cost. Paying, yeah. Yeah. Um, forgiveness is a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. It is a painful thing. It takes us, I, I, I've had things, dude, I didn't tell you, babe, I had a breakthrough like yesterday. Oh. I didn't tell you. And like, sometimes forgiveness takes time because so you're there, there's you hold on to so much anger in your heart. Um, and in Christ, you see, look at what it cost. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness. It costs me. It's not, it's not free in that way. The cross, people, their entire theology is written about like the suffering God. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, again, it, it's a tough chapter. You got to read the whole thing to kind of get it. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's a, um, there, maybe this isn't a common question, that, but I, I've heard it more recently. People saying, why, why did Jesus have to die? And he talks also about how, you know, Jesus' death was necessary. Um, he says, if God was going to take justice seriously, that basically there is evil in the world and it has to be dealt with. And the cross is the means of doing that, that it could, it's, it, it, you couldn't just dismiss all the bad things. The debt had to be paid. Um, and then, yeah, and then that Jesus took that on, um, that it was a necessary way to deal with that. Um, chapter 13, we get into a chapter called The Reality of Resurrection. Um, babe, what do you think of this one? It's a good one. Um, there's He talks about um, the resurrection, that basically it's it changes everything. And, you know, you've preached on this before at Easter and different times, you know, that, like, historians and everyone agrees that Jesus lived and died. Um, but the kind of the turning point, the difference between Christians and everyone else is whether or not the resurrection happened. Because if it did, it changes everything. Um, and um, it, it means death is not the end. That's yeah. crazy. And it's, I mean, it means that, Jesus wasn't just a crazy guy talking trash, right? Right. He wasn't just walking around like some radical that got killed. He's like, oh, he really was who he said he was. Um, and then he talks about the how there were so many witnesses that saw him after the resurrection and how, you know, it's a, there are evidences that it really did happen. And um, yeah, so I thought it was Like good. in a few, uh, well, in six months, whatever, we're going to go on a cruise to Israel and we're going to go and see the empty tomb like that's crazy mm -hmm. that the stories that take that are written about you can go see what it took place and there are people whose like great 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 grandfather been telling the story through history like yeah this is where it was like the tomb of christ was lost for generations and i think it's because uh, rome was not you know pro-christian but after uh, constantine um he wanted to find the tomb it's like 300 a.d it's been 300 years Think about how much America changed in 200 years, 300 years. That's a lot of change. And they go to Jerusalem. And I ask people, did anyone here know where the tomb crest was buried in? And some, some people that lived there, oh, yeah, my family used to say it was over. It's, they built this, this uh, room on it. So they tore the stinking floor out, and under that floor found a tomb. 
And it's like, holy cow, we found it. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. We're going to walk in there and say, man, this may be the place where a dead man was placed inside and a living man walked out and still lives today. In the last chapter is the dance of God. Um, Darling Face, what do you got? Um, so this is, a lot of it is about, this chapter is kind of the abstract. Yeah, yeah it's, but it's, as far as like, he's talking about the Trinity and how the, the persons cow. of the Trinity relate to one another and that, that um, it's in God's nature to be giving of himself. Um, but... So, yeah, it's, it starts out, you're kind of like, whoa, where are we going here? But then he just talks about how, um, oh, there's this one quote. It says, if something is beautiful, you enjoy it simply for what it is. And just talks about how it's such a beautiful thing, the love of God, and, um, and how we get to enjoy that, and we get to join in that, that dance of just goodness and giving and love. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, so this is a quick overview of the book it's listen it's worth it's a big book but it's worth the read if you our culture tends to say that our faith has no legs to stand on and the, the culture that says this they're being un they're being over simplistic they're being unkind unfavorable they're repeating what they've heard and what they heard wasn't true when they were told it. Um, there are reasons for our faith. And brilliant people believe in Jesus. Um, one of them said, sit down next to me. Oh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, our book for next month, our book for September, is God Smuggler by Brother Andrew. Babe, um, in my memory, this was a much smaller book. Like, it's like, it doesn't look like 100 pages. That was a little tiny yeah, pamphlet. Yeah, we did have, like, well, not a pamphlet, but yeah, we had like a little copy of it this book um, i want to there's some stories in here that we're to laugh about because this book helps save a radical fundamentalist baptist from being a, being a legalist psycho um because oh. i was like well god helped him and he did this did no it, it blew up my my worldview um, oh you were the psycho i was a psycho baptist <laughs> and brother andrew helped me go uh you're dumb um so thanks brother andrew <laughs> Um, but we like books, so hopefully you like books. Uh, we read a book a month here and do a little stinking uh, Facebook Live thing. Hopefully it encourages you to keep on reading. Um, man, ideas are good. Books are good. Turn your TV off. Silence your notifications on your cell phone. Go sit outside where the wind blows and the birds chirp and the mosquitoes come out at 645 every <laughs> stinking night and read. It is good. It is good. All right. And with that said, we're out, babe? Yeah. All right. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye.